Hello, and I'd like to welcome back to CoinGeek Conversations this week, my guest from last week, uh, who's now wearing a different hat. Instead of being the CEO of Gorilla Pool, he's here in his capacity as Chief Bitcoin Historian for CoinGeek, Kurt Wookert Jr. Hi, Kurt. Charles, always a pleasure. You're listening to CoinGeek Conversations with Charles Miller. Last week, I tuned into a very interesting lunch and learn session that you gave in Florida, uh, which really was a lecture about the whole history of money, really, uh, leading us up to Bitcoin and uh, beautifully illustrated with with slides and things. I really would will put the link there uh, at the bottom of this, and I, I really would urge everyone to to watch it. I thought it was brilliant. Um, and I learned a lot about the Medicis and the Rothschilds and all sorts of things. But just on a personal note, I, I got the, 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 the idea that this wasn't something you just worked up for this session because you let on that you're a member of the Numismatic Society of New York. Uh, indeed. <laughs> so you are a coin collector. A, a little bit. So that's actually a um, my my dad's dad was a coin collector. My dad was a coin collector, and I have a uh, small but but nice collection of coins myself. Uh, and yeah, I, I just think I've always thought money was fascinating, both sociologically and uh, and just practically this this concept this notion this weird relationship that we have with mm. with money is um it's, it's just bizarre it's this weird measurement tool that you know people try to be passé about but but it's it's this ingredient that makes so many other things happen and it's really important to understand it i mean bitcoin is disappointingly completely untactile there's nothing to nothing to kind of collect or <laughs> it's, it's yeah. a little, it, it, that's not its strong point. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Going back into the history a bit, you talked about private banks and I thought it was very interesting how you made the point about br- private banks started lending money to governments because actually that was less risky for them than lending it to individuals. And that led to the creation of central banks. I'm wondering how you see the, the development of Bitcoin in relation to that, because the tide is kind of going in the other direction, really, isn't it? That this kind of new money will not be of use to states and be able to be manipulated by states in the same way as their own central bank currencies, whether digital or otherwise. For sure. Well, it's, it's interesting because there's a few different competing theories about how Bitcoin can interface with central banks uh, or, or banking in general. You have the BTC argument that Bitcoin is meant to be underlying collateral. It needs to be held at, at institutions, but also held by individuals who keep each other in check uh, and that it's this global settlement layer. So you you know maybe all global business settles in one block a day or something. Uh, and I, I've always thought that was a really weird way to look at Bitcoin uh, because the thing that actually makes sense to me is to tokenize assets on top of Bitcoin. And that's actually the way to collateralize. So maybe a dollar is itself a certain amount of government credit, but is also a certain amount of underlying Satoshis. Maybe it's 10 sats or 100 sats or something that are included in that. And so we've sort of reintroduced not a gold standard, but a Bitcoin standard of underlying value to each individual dollar. 
Uh, I think that's a very interesting way to issue a national currency or, or maybe even a global currency. Uh, and it's not something I've heard many people talk about because they're so obsessed with uh, doing the other thing and just trying to kill central banks. Just It's not a thing that's mm. going to happen. They're too ingrained in everything else. But you can optimize them. And I think through optimization, you can take away their power to do things that we don't understand. Because uh, if you just simplify the whole process, now there isn't a place for someone to say, well, don't worry, the experts are in charge. <laughs> and I think that that's, that's crucial. But, I mean, governments won't willingly relinquish the power of being able to print money through quantities of easing, I don't think, will they? Because that is a huge weapon that they have. And if everybody's just using Bitcoin, they won't have that kind of control. Well, 500 years ago, the a man in your position would have said the same thing about the Catholic Church, that, hey... The, <laughs> And, and it's it's very true, and and they're actually very closely tied. That uh, at the time, the church, the bank, and the state were a, a triune power. Uh, I don't know what, not an octopus, but you know, a three legged uh, <laughs> thing of 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 similar uh, form. Yeah, so whatever you'd call it. But um, they were they they had a similar power. So the church would. Mm. Uh, anoint the crown and the crown would uh, allow the bank to exist and the bank would lend to both. And, you know, they had, they had this power structure until uh, it's actually the printing press that took away that power from the church. So in the, in the 1500s, it got exponentially cheaper to print books and naturally people wanted Bibles in their own language. And so when people were able to read the Bible in their own language, they came to realize, Hey, you know, maybe I disagree with what the Catholic church is saying. And as that proliferated, very quickly, people started saying, you know what, maybe I'm not going to tithe on Sundays and maybe I'm not going to go to church and maybe I'd rather be a dentist than a blacksmith and some of these mm. other things. And so very quickly, information and the cheap availability of information took the power away from the church such that the church still exists. You can totally go to a Catholic church in your town, I guarantee it, but it's not mandatory. It is now a mm. voluntary relationship that we have with the church, and they are kindly asking for your money on Sundays. Uh, and, Wait, and so, so, what, that, so how does this analogy work with Bitcoin then? So Bitcoin is information. It is information and money tied together. And if we can do those two things really, really well and reduce the friction of money and information at the same time, then the central bank, people people start to say, why do I need a bank to issue my money? Or why do I need, why does the government need my taxes in the first place? This is very cumbersome on my life. And as people start to scoff at the notion of bank and state, the same way that an atheist can scoff at the Catholic Church today, then, then we've changed the game. People can still participate in the bank or the state voluntarily. But imagine if you could just withdraw your consent much the same way that you withdraw your consent from church. And maybe you go on Easter and Christmas because you're from a Christian family. Uh, and it's and it's a little ceremonial thing you do. We can have a similar relationship with banks and states, and we can sort of reorganize society in, in much the same way. And I see that, again, as the cheap availability of valuable information. And Bitcoin does that with money. Mm. And of course, if that process happens, the the difference between the economy in one country and another begins to kind of uh, amalgamate that they will all become part of the same economy, really. And I'm, 
I mean, that's, yep. that'd be a huge, huge <laughs> difference, yeah. wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, and, and very much uh, undermining the power of government. Well, and the, the reason governments came up in the first place was because it was impractical to communicate over long distances, or you had your, uh, you know, the, the silo of the fact that we don't speak the same language, but perhaps our ambassadors do and, and these kind of things. And technology is, is eliminating all of that. And I think it's really interesting to look at the way that our governments may disagree. Like we're right now we've got this problem with Russia and Ukraine and China and all these things right now. And it's our governments that don't like each other. When I meet people from mm. Russia, Ukraine, China, you just meet an average person. I think everybody is is roughly as suspicious of their own governments as, as everybody else. There's kind of this average that we all seem to come to and say, yeah, you know, sure, I like that I'm from my nation that I'm from and I, I identify with that in some ways, mm. but also I know they're super corrupt and all these other things. And, and I think I think there is a level of that that if we're allowed to communicate peer to peer instead of through our authority figures, we start to realize that, hey, we should just cut them out of the transaction entirely here. Why aren't we just having a relationship? Mm. I don't even mean a business relationship. I mean all relationships, economic and personal, just just peer to peer, just with everybody. And we realize our collective humanity is a lot more than our national identity or, or whatever else. I, I hate to say this, but that sounds like an almost hippie-ish philosophy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, sure. I mean, the, other, the other side of the argument might be that governments are simply the expression of the economic interests in that particular country. And that, you know, they may not look like much, but actually the power is the power of the economy behind behind that country's uh, wealth. It is. I, th I think... I think governments and law, law more so, the law is sort of a lagging indicator of the values mm -hmm. of the people. But I, but I think it really depends. It's in places like China, they have mock elections. So they're not really representing the people. They're pretending that, mm -hmm. you know, Kim Jong-un got 98% of the vote. Well, we all know that that's not what happened. And so, mm -hmm. uh, so that's not really an indicator. Like North Korean people don't have access to the rest of the world right now. But if they did, how different would their culture be and how quickly? I think it, quite quickly, if they just had access to the internet, we would see a cultural change there over the course of a generation that would be immense. Absolutely. I mean, we've started off talking a bit about history, but of course, you are absolutely on the front line in terms of fighting for Bitcoin SV, particularly in social media and all sorts of forums. I'm just yeah. wondering... Is that a deliberate choice that you made or was it something that just sort of crept up on you? So it started with a deliberate choice. Now it's it's one of those things. It's like a runaway train, you know, but um, it's it's funny when the Bitcoin cash hash war was fueling up. I was running the Chicago Bitcoin cash meetup. It was sponsored by Bitcoin.com. I was in discussion with Roger Ver's people about doing a podcast on their network. And then this debate sprung up about do we do bigger blocks or all you know fixed protocol versus you know whatever bch decided to do and for me it was this crisis over the fact that i really agreed with the bsv roadmap but i didn't particularly like the way that it was being expressed uh and and i say this as someone who used to listen to craig wright and i would agree so much with what he would say but then there would always be a thing about how he would say it 
that would say like, ah, man, you know, like you could attract so many more people if you just didn't say that one thing right there. Like everybody's going to hang on that word. Hmm. And at that point, uh, this was 20, I guess it was 2018. I said, you know what? I just need to speak up more. I am good at communicating these ideas and I'm just going to start doing it more. Um, and, and it just snowballed from there. So that was my decision. That was when I decided I was going to talk about it. And then and that, you were not a professional, uh, BSV at that stage then. No, at, you at had that another point, job. You had a different job and everything. I think I was, I was working in cybersecurity as a penetration tester. Uh, I was working and I, and I owned a printing company in Chicago at the time. So Bitcoin, um, was very much a hobby that I was passionate about, but it was absolutely not my my career right. at the time. It's got a bit out of hand, I'm afraid. <laughs> it, sh- it sure has. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, okay, so it is the most incredibly kind of sectarian world, Bitcoin yeah. and other cryptocurrencies. I mean, you don't get, I mean, Apple and Microsoft and Google are fierce competitors, but you don't get the same level of personal animosity there. I mean, what is it that makes this such a really, I mean, I have to say unpleasant world of people just slagging each other off and accusing them of being criminals and God knows what. It's it's great. If you look at this from the outside, you'd be shocked and horrified. You get kind of used to it, I think. But it's... I think it's the insular nature of it. You mentioned Apple and Microsoft. And yeah, today, sure, they've got business agreements and neither of the founders of those companies are, you know, they're all retired or dead at this point. It's the next generation. They kind of don't care Mm -hmm. anymore. Mm -hmm. But if you were to go back to the late 80s, you would get Apple people and Microsoft people like ready to duke it out if they bumped into each other at a trade show. Yeah, it's true and, that it, and Microsoft used to be called the evil empire. Exactly. <laughs> and I, I remember, so I'm a big Apple fan and I always have been. So I, maybe I have this thing for being a, the advocate for the underdog, but um, I remember watching the Worldwide Developer Conference. I watched it every year when Steve Jobs would give the presentations. And I remember the year that Bill Gates's face popped up on screen because they were announcing their partnership to, uh, I believe it was to take Microsoft office and make it available on the Mac. And, (laughs) uh, Steve says, Steve says something to the effect of like, and here's who we're bringing on next. And it's Bill Gates pops up on the screen (laughs) and it must've been a thousand developers in the room. Just instant, not like a gasp. It was instant. The whole crowd erupted in Hmm. just they could not have been more raucously opposed to having that man's face on stage. And so I think that we're just still in that nascent, like we're battling, we're battling Hmm. to be the protocol of the future still. And Apple and Microsoft were fighting that battle 15 years ago. What, What is what are people going to build what operating system actually is going to to function? And we've come to realize now that they can live in harmony. But in Bitcoin, we're, ju- we're just not there yet. We haven't defined what is the thing. There is no business other than exchanges. There isn't a business that wakes up in the morning and says, OK, our whole business is about this blockchain and it, it's necessary. We're not we're not relying on blockchains for business still. Uh, and so we're still fighting to be the one to get the most customers and, and achieve that sort of hockey stick adoption curve. Cause whoever does mm. are going to be the richest people in the world. Um, <laughs> so that's, that's really what's at stake. I think it's true. You, you, you remind me really that 
the difference between uh, Windows and Apple back in those days wasn't just a technical one. It was a, a cultural one. And yep. that you identified with one or the other in the same way that you might like one band rather than another. It was sort of, yep, very much it so. was a way of saying who you were as well as just any kind of technical choice. Yep. But in a way, you want to kind of drain that out of these discussions as, as much as possible, don't you? I mean, they're not, it's not a helpful way of doing business. For sure. I mean, do you think that? we may can look forward to a more mature kind of debate, uh, a more of a sort of live and let live atmosphere in the future. I, I think that we're, we're living it now, actually. It's, it's the, we're the weird people. We're the, we're the developers. We're the ones that are having the, the debate. If, if we would have gone back uh, to Bill Gates on stage, there are people in that crowd and, and, and the Microsoft camp that that same week, we're probably in a biz, business meeting. They're not going to sit at a business meeting. If you're from Apple or from a company that's using Apple, you're not going to start your, your business pitch with, all right, here's everything that's wrong with Microsoft. And here's why you don't want to use Windows. You're just going to propose, hey, here's, here's the workflow on a Mac. I can support you using this workflow on a Mac. And, and I think you should use a Mac. And if you decide to, I will work with you on that. And it's the exact same thing happening now. If I'm going to have a conversation onboarding somebody to be a Bitcoin SV user, I'm not going to start with, okay, let's talk about Peter Todd and Gregory Maxwell and right. all the reasons why Craig may or may not be Satoshi. Like this, immediately, mm. I'm not talking about my business. I'm having some weird protocol debate. That's not conducive to anything. And I, for the record, I am having those conversations with people in the business development standpoint where I'm literally just saying, Here's the cost. Here's the scalability. Here's what this looks like. Here's how you can put your business on the blockchain. And that's it. And that that's the business conversation. So um, <laughs> I think Twitter Twitter has just amplified it. And then we all fight because it's, it's like a royal rumble. We're all just sort of stuck together. <laughs> right. I mean, on the other hand, there is a public education job to be done. And I think you're doing an amazing part of that. Um, I mean, the, the the lunch and learn thing was actually you you kind of went out of your way to be non-partisan and um, a pretty pretty sort of impartial kind of view. Although you also said that you supported Bitcoin SV and that you were sort of uh, believing Craig to be Satoshi and all that stuff. It's different different messages for different audiences, I guess. Really, mm -hmm. no, for sure. Well, and Bitcoin. Here's the thing. I mean, Bitcoin is itself a very clearly defined thing. We disagree about the the fringe uh, between small blockers and big blockers and things, but it's kind of like um, it'd be a similar thing. I guess I'll go with a religious analogy again. Uh, if you talk to an atheist who was raised an atheist and try to explain the differences between Catholicism and Anglicanism, the differences are going to seem very, very trivial to that atheist. Yes. Yes. And so... I'm trying to give the, what would it mean to be a Christian 101? So we'll just go over basic creation theory and Noah and the flood. And here's Jesus crucified resurrection. That's what Christians believe. And, <laughs> and it, it, it's not going to be controversial. You a Catholic, should try that one, actually. That, that would be interesting to hear as well. It's, it's, maybe we'll do it. So, but, but it, it's exactly that. Bitcoin, 
Bitcoin has a lot of uh, shelling points, I think is what they'd be called. Mm-hmm. That, that, that just are. We agree. There's 21 million coins, Satoshi Nakamoto, the date, the dates all fit and this and that. We only really disagree about 2018 and forward, but that's that's a lot. Well, that's details and, and trimmings. Okay, I'm going to be very pedantic here and point out something that you said in your talk that actually is contradict- contradicted by what Craig Wright oh. has said. Um, sure. It's to do with where your Bitcoins actually are. And mm. um, you say in your talk, your coins are not in your wallet. Your coins are on the blockchain. The wallet is like a window on the blockchain. Well, I that's what I thought. Um, but Craig actually in a tweet this week says Bitcoin does not exist on the blockchain. The only reference, it's only the reference and index of the exchanges on the blockchain. And he goes on to give a rather good analogy about the land registry. I don't know whether you saw that, but he basically I did, says I did not see this tweet. Yeah. It, it's like the land registry. Um it's not the land registry is not the land and it's not even the certificates that show who own a piece of land because those are held by the land owner it's just a record of those certificates so yeah yeah so this it's, is it's, it's funny that you know going back to the almost theological argument here yeah. what is a bitcoin and where is a bitcoin is a bit like how many angels on the head of a pin actually <laughs> It's true. So it's it's funny, and and he's right. I should I should preface this with my oversimplification. You don't know. You can say no, 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 right. no, no, no. No, he's he, he. Well, here's the thing. We're we're both right, and I'll explain why. <laughs> so <laughs> what we what we do with Bitcoin, like for example, when I say pay my address, what you're doing, I'm you're not actually paying my public key address. You are paying a hash of my address, which is itself. A reference. So a hash is a reference of another thing. And Bitcoin, the reason why I would say that the Bitcoin is on the blockchain is because, well, the hash is, but we use hashes for everything in the structure of how Bitcoin works that for all intents and purposes, uh, it's, it's just an easier way to explain it without having to get uh, at like the 300 level yeah. <laughs> on Bitcoin. Well, this is why Craig is doing masterclass and I'm doing 101. <laughs> but um, <laughs> so it's a little bit, uh, It's I'm trying to think of the best way to explain or give an analogy as to what um, what actually makes sense. But you can create different hashes of even the, your Bitcoin. So you can you can hash a hash and you get a second hash that can reference the reference and back. And so you can do this uh, a bunch of different ways, but it's it's kind of a trick with the cryptography that um, that your wallet public key isn't your public key. It's your pay to public key hash. So all of these things are obfuscated by the wallet though, which is the point that I was making in, in my thing is that your wallet isn't holding your coins. Your wallet is just keeping a list of references to where your coins actually are. And that's that's why I say that in in uh, depending on which level we're explaining, we we are actually both right. Um, he's just explaining the abstraction of it. Whereas, um, here's a good example. Do you know what a meme is? You mean a yeah a thing that, a sort of idea that is transmitted online? Correct. That that is the correct definition. But most people would tell you that a meme is a JPEG of of something that people will recognize. 
But the meme is actually the idea, but people think yeah. that the expression of the idea is oh, the meme, and it right. actually yeah. is not. So that's my, well, that's our dog mascot here. <laughs> so that's my that's my analogy uh, right. for, for that. I mean, what, what I was thinking was that if you think of the blockchain as a ledger, then there's the same question about my bank account. If I have money in the bank, there isn't the money, you know, if everybody and everybody came and demanded their money out of the bank, they, the bank wouldn't have enough money to give us. And Correct. so actually the money, if you said to me, well, where is your money? The answer is, I don't really know, but there's a ledger here that says what I'm owed. And that perhaps that is the way to look at Bitcoin, that actually you don't, don't worry about trying to actually find it. Just look at where you are, who, who owes who what. Correct. So the hash, the hash is an unbreakable promise to find your bitcoins. Right. Where your bank, your bank would also say that theirs is, but we, you know, humans are humans. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. Um, I mean, one of the things that just sort of looking at the the future here, obviously, that every time there's a halving of the block reward, there's a sort of panic about are the miners going to continue because transaction fees are not rising fast enough to compensate. I mean, what's, I, remember, I was around for the, the last halving and everyone was, there was a sort of a bit of a uh, sort of millennium bug kind of panic about it, whether, <laughs> yep. whether the whole thing was going to collapse. I mean, what's your view on that? Because when are we going to start really seeing transaction fees coming along in, in billions, do you think? Well, I, I think Satoshi gave us the the perfect example. 50 Bitcoins per block was what he told us Bitcoin should look like because that was the initial subsidy. So in my opinion, until the average block has 50 Bitcoins in it in fees, we have not even regained our footing from 2009 to 2013 when the first happening happened. You mean, you mean the rest of the 50 should be made up by transaction fees? Absolutely. I, yeah. I mean, if you, if you were just mining casually in 2009, you were earning 50 coins a block. Yeah. And now the average miner is is still earning less than seven coins a block right now. So there's been a, mm. I don't know what that is, 90-ish percent drop off in in profitability, really. If you're measuring in Satoshis, it's, it's, it's bad. Yeah. And so we need to do better. We need to have massive blocks because that is Bitcoin security model at scale. And um, the subsidy has been real nice and it's, it's helped us along, but uh, we're not respecting it and we're certainly not uh, making our way toward um, replacing it. And it's, it's crucial that we do that. And do you think that is, do you see signs of that coming along? There's, there's interest by all sorts of big businesses and stuff, but somehow we never seem to quite get there in terms of somebody going with some absolutely massive operation that uses it. Yeah. I mean, it's... It's it's an interesting problem. It's a chicken and an egg problem, really. Mm. Uh, it's just like, you know, if Visa does some big new thing, the people at MasterCard and Amex and stuff are are scrambling to, oh shoot, we're we're getting behind. We gotta hurry. And we don't really have that in the blockchain space because there's so little real value being created that it, we're all just competing on price. It's mm. price has been such a magnetic thing in the economy that people kind of can't get get it through their heads that there's other ways to make money with blockchain. Uh, and the, this is actually what I love about bear markets is, is that they make people have to reassess that, 
hey, maybe I've been wrong. Maybe I need to rethink the profit model of being in this economy. And um, yeah, I mean, we just, somebody's got to get out there and seal the deal or else, I mean, maybe blockchain was just a bad idea. And that's, oh, that's going to that. be that's going to be it's going to be real humbling if in ten years all of us are just doing something different because nobody actually got a real customer. <laughs> oh dear, no! I mean, there th 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 just always are these hopeful signs, and no doubt at the um, conference coming up in London in May, we'll all be kind of reinvigorated with all sorts of uh, new kinds of uh, enthusiastic participants and believing yep. that. Uh, which is on the brink, but um, yeah. it would be nice to get a few people actually over the brink, I think. <laughs> no, for sure. Well, and we have so much to offer. I, I, I think that's been the thing uh, for me when I do my own shows or when people ask me for advice as a guest, hey, what what can we do? So everybody, man, put on your salesman hat and go sell somebody something that they can't get in any mm. other way. There are a lot of things in BSV mm. that, that nobody can compete with but we just have to have people doing good old-fashioned sales work. And I mean, literally, walk into a business with donuts and ask to talk to whoever makes these decisions. <laughs> I mean, the argument has been sometimes, well, yeah, we, we can do that once we've got all the sort of infrastructure in place and infrastructure providers and, and you know, things, things like the work that you're doing to make it easy for businesses to get on board. And maybe we've just been going through that phase and now the real users on the periphery, as it were, you know, will find it easy to use and find it profitable. Yeah, I, I think it's a both and, but but by default, I mean, we're all computer people, but like the overwhelming majority of people that are using Bitcoin are developers or infrastructure nerds. So we're all going to sort of lean toward, well, we need to, we need to optimize. I, I really should just sit here and work on the thing that I'm good at. Uh, by, by, by default, if we were better at sales and marketing, we might not even be in the blockchain economy at all. We could go be yeah. selling solar panels or selling cars or something and make yeah. make pretty good money. So um, it really, I think, is is largely a culture thing. Hmm. Um, but I mean, it's not that difficult to just hire good, experienced people from sales. I mean, there's there's companies that have uh, SaaS salesmen or, or enterprise. Hmm cloud computing salesmen like these guys could pretty quickly get up to snuff on selling bsv solutions and get them out there get them knocking on doors build build leads build clients build business that's it's formulaic it's not that hard to do if you put the right people on the job well kurt you are doing more than your fair share of that work <laughs> and uh, <laughs> congratulations on all the things you've achieved and Thank you. uh uh, thank you so much for talking to me today. Oh, thank you, Charles. Thanks very much to Kurt Wookert Jr. for both this week and the previous week, in fact. Very good to hear Kurt on so many different subjects. Please join me again for another CoinGeek conversation next week. And until then, from me, Charles Miller, thanks for listening and goodbye.